0: I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Normally, as you know, if you've been around, we preach expositionally through books of the Bible. And uh, once or twice a year, we'll take a a short uh, segment and do a a teaching topic. And so that's what we've done during this Advent series. And so our Advent uh, series is called God with us, the gift of Christ and his church. And... uh, we began that last week, and so this week we will be looking at what it means to have God with us in joy, in joy. So we've titled that Advent series again, God with us, the gift of Christ in his church. And last week, Pastor Billy preached on how God is with us in peace, and how that, that we can have the peace of God in our hearts, and as a result of that, Um, I mean, that comes, the peace of God being in our hearts comes as a result of having peace with God. And so the subtitle of our Advent series is important too. It's clear that Christmas certainly is about the gift of Jesus. But what we're wanting to draw your attention to in that subtitle is also the gift of his church. That the fact that God is with us shows up tangibly And with faces in the local church, in his church, in this church as well. So, inasmuch as Christ is a gift to us, we must come to see his church as a precious gift to us as well, because it is the living expression of God with us. And so, today we want to look at that and see how God is with us in joy and what that means. So, Luke chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 8 through 11. Let's stand again, please, for the reading of God's Word. We will begin here in Luke at, uh, chapter 2, but, um, but we'll be looking at different passages of Scripture. But this section forms the basis of this message. Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, where shepherds, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of your your word stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. And so as we scan the scriptures this morning to see what you have to teach us about joy... May the the livingness of your word, the vitality and life of your word, may it energize our joy to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, one of the most practical and helpful books that I've read on joy in the Christian life is by John Piper, and it's titled, When I Don't Desire God, the subtitle is How to Fight for Joy, and I appreciate the realism of that title. Uh, Because joy is indeed a fight, isn't it? It may seem like it comes naturally for some people, but given the downward pull of sin and the flesh, even a, a, a joyfully, even a naturally joyful demeanor may be a facade, really. It may be the result of positive thinking or assuming that you can sort of create positivity if you tell yourself often enough to just be happy. And sometimes Christian preaching on the subject of joy can sound a lot like that as well. A forced outward happiness could be someone's attempt to hide, though, something. To hide maybe an inner pain or fear or struggle. Now, am I just being pessimistic and skeptical about happy people? Um, Well, no. I think given what the Bible teaches us about sin, we can say with certainty that apart from Christ... Really, none of us comes by joy just naturally. Not true joy. And in Piper's book, he points out that apart from Christ, actually the joy that people experience is more like the joy on board the Titanic that evening before it struck an iceberg. Think about that. So here, what does he mean by that? Piper writes, it's in your notes, if it were not for the death of Jesus in our place, the only possible joy would be the joy of delusion. Like the joy on the Titanic just before it hit the iceberg. Without the cross, joy could be sustained only by denying, consciously or subconsciously, the inevitability of divine judgment. In fact, that's the kind of joy that drives most of the world. A joy that preserves the power of its pleasures by being oblivious to the peril just ahead. Their joy depends on their ignorance. Oh, but we have better news and better grounds for joy. May our joy never depend on our ignorance. Christians are the only people on earth who have permanent, lasting grounds for true joy. Our joy never hangs on thin air. It doesn't depend on self-affirmation. It is not the result of positive vibes only kind of thinking. It is rooted and grounded in this phrase in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. The good news is the foundation of the Christian's joy, not anything else. And the arrival of Christ and what he's come to do was actually announced to these shepherds that way. It was announced as good news. And it's that news that would be the basis of their great joy and ours as well. So for everyone who's just running around trying to be happy during Christmas time, they will soon find their happiness to be fleeting or unobtainable if they're not basing it on this good news that great joy comes from. But they don't have to be running around pursuing fleeting, unobtainable happiness. No, no one needs to remain under that delusion that all is well when it is not. Even when good, especially when good news of great joy is actually being extended to them. So the main point for today is this. The good news of God with us should lead to great joy for all people. And that means those of us who have, who have the good news, but maybe are not necessarily walking in the good of it at all times, as well as those who have yet to hear and embrace the good news at all. So we want to let this good news of God with us lead us into a greater experience of joy than we're currently experiencing. How can we do that? So that's what we want to examine this morning. Well, let's start from the beginning. Point number one, God's design for joy in the creation of man. As we think about joy, let's just go back to the beginning for a moment. We see throughout the Bible that God is actually the very expression of joy and contentment and peace. These virtues radiate out from his very being. He is the essence of pure joy, among other things. And as an expression of his own perfect, pure, and holy joy, he created man in his own image and with a capacity to experience that joy. Man was commanded in Genesis chapter 1 to be fruitful. God provided for them an abundance of food We see over and over that it was good, it was good, it was good. In other words, God delighted in his creation, and his creation delighted in him. Man was not only commanded to to be fruitful and multiply, we see that in Genesis chapter 2, the vegetation that God provided for man was described as being pleasant to the sight and good for food. It could have been boring and bland, but it was pleasant, praise God. Are you thankful that food is pleasant? Just remember that. I mean, next time you enjoy a good meal or a good drink, God created you with capacities to enjoy the things that go into your mouth in food and drink. He created you with that capacity to actually enjoy that. So you can thank God that you're able to taste food and like it. That is a gift from God. Now, not all food, because Genesis 3 happened and the fall came. And so we have food aversions. We have things that don't agree with us and things that are not good for us. And There are those things, but we'll get get to that point. But God created just taste as an expression of his kindness to us. Many of us found that out when we got COVID and we lost our taste, right? How much of a gift the taste of food was when it's not there. You suddenly realize it. My dad got COVID early on and, and uh, his, taste, his taste went away. And I was texting him to see how he's feeling. And he said, I'm feeling fine. I just, it's so frustrating that I can't taste anything. Everything just tastes bland and just has no flavor. And then he said, this must be what it's like to live up north. <laughs> so, If you're from the north, I apologize for my dad's insensitivities. But what he's getting at is, man, when it's gone, you realize you realize what a gift it is. But God, it's God who designed you to delight in his creation and to enjoy it. Whether that's food or nature or the starry skies or a good night's rest. These are gifts from God meant to delight us. But it didn't stop there. We see in Genesis that God created woman and Adam delighted in her presence. And in a sense, his joy was really made complete With her presence. Then Genesis 3 happened. Man exchanged the good blessing of joy that he had in God for his own way. And with that first sin an infinite floodgate of rebellious possibilities was opened. Rather than being surprised and delighted by the varieties of God's good creation over and over again, man would go over and over again to try and find a variety of ways to sin against God, to use God's creation for his own glory and pleasure, to actually push God out of their lives, to run and hide from him, to insist that we don't need him. All of the things that still show up in our own hearts today as a result of the fall. We would almost immediately worship and serve created things, even ourselves rather than God. And in our rebellion, in that rebellion is the rejection of the joy that God was actually offering us. See, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve could say, we know the joy of God with us. But after the fall, what happened? Remember? They were shut out of the garden. Flaming swords are, are covering it. They were banished from God's presence. They were naked, afraid, and on the run. Why? Because God was not with them as he was before. As the good reality of God with us departed from their experience, so did their joy. And that is very instructive for us when we think about joy. So is joy lacking in your life? Could it be that you moved away from the source of true joy and pure joy? We'll see in a moment that how the joy that God intends for us to experience really can only come from the gospel. It comes from the good news that brings the great joy that we need and long for. But I just want to say here in the beginning that if joy's lacking in you in any way, you're in the right place, okay? You're in the right place. Every single person really is on a joy hunt, whether they realize it or not. But joy is not found in all of the things we tend to pursue. Joy joy is not found in things. Joy is not found in improved circumstances. Joy is found in a person and the work that he did on our behalf. And the person and the work of Jesus that produces joy is something that circumstances are not going to change. It's not going to undo the reality of who Jesus is and what he does. And so if you're anchoring your joy on those things, well, certainly it's going to change. When our joy is anchored in Jesus and what he's done, that is the unchanging anchor that we need for our own hearts. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died as if he were the wicked, vile sinner. He rose from the dead to show that he was more powerful than death, our greatest enemy. And he did all of that so that we could know the joy of God being with us. That we could know it know that joy, experienced, felt, delighted in, not just analyzed and examined from afar. So does joy actually fill your heart when you think about something like the judgment you deserved and instead the mercy that you have received? How can you think about that on any depth without being moved to joy For the mercy that you've received in light of the judgment that you deserved. If joy is is absent, might it be because we've moved away from these gospel realities as functioning in our hearts on a regular basis? Yes. But there is that good news that we come back to, and that good news will lead to great joy. So even though joy was lost because of the fall, the promise of the return of joy is scattered all over the Old Testament in types and shadows of God being with us. We see over and over the promise that God would come to dwell among his people again, not temporarily as he did in the temple, not on select individuals as he did with the prophets, not in a particular place like he did in Jerusalem, but instead all God's people would experience the joy of God with us. One example of this comes from Isaiah 29:19, "The meek shall obtain fresh joy from the Lord," as prophesying what's going to happen when the coming Messiah arrives on the scene. The meek shall obtain fresh joy from the Lord. Do you need fresh joy from the Lord this morning? Another example of the promised return of joy comes from uh, Jeremiah 31:13. Where, again, anticipating the coming Messiah. Hundreds of years into the future, it says, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And all these Old Testament promises are tied to this coming Savior. That's why the angel in Luke 2 announces it that way. I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, God is going to be with us again. And that is described, God being with us is described as good news of great joy. So from the creation of mankind until now, think about this. All of history was leading up to this point where you and I could know the joy that comes from God being with us in Christ. That is God's design for joy in the creation of man. Yes, lost at the fall, but restored in Christ and brought to life by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that he sends to bring joy to life in our experience, to bring what we're talking about into reality in our hearts. He sends the Holy Spirit for that very purpose. So what are you looking to for joy? Is the good news of God is it the good news of God with us in Jesus? Or is it something else? Well, God's design is that you would find your joy in Jesus. So that's the invitation that he extends to us. And the reason that there is joy in Jesus, the reason that there is an experience of great joy that springs from the good news that the angels announced of the coming of Christ, the reason why that's the case is because joy actually originates in God himself. This is a point I don't think we, we often think about. So let's look at this for a minute. Point number two, the gift of joy in the love of the Father. Okay. So to understand the connection between God with us and joy, we need to see God's own joy. See, he's not just trying to produce something in us that he doesn't have or that he doesn't know about. He's sharing with you something that he already has in abundance. That's why we experience that, that's why we experience joy when God is with us. That's the promise. Joy is the result. That's why the psalmist can write, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reason there's fullness of joy in God's presence is because God is joyful. God is not boring and dead and humdrum. Yes, God can be grieved. Yes, God's wrath can be kindled. We don't want to minimize those realities, but we can't miss the fact that God has a particular joy over his broken, sinful, and repenting people. And I wish I would put that in your notes. So I want that to stand out in your mind if you need to write it down. God has a particular joy over his broken, sinful, and repenting people. Martin Luther said the Christian life is marked by ongoing repentance. We are this side of eternity constantly coming to Jesus in repentance and turning away from sin and asking for grace and help to change. We are, yes, broken and sinful, but we should be repenting and returning people constantly. We never get beyond that. Is this how you picture God? Do you you picture God as joyful over you in your brokenness and sinfulness and your repentance. Do you picture him that way? Do you picture him irritated? Do you picture him, it's about time you repented and came to me, frustrated with you? I remember attending a football game that my nephew was playing in several years ago. And um, this was... Uh, they, they live in New Orleans, and so we are visiting, and we are playing, and uh, one of his teammates was the son of a Saints football player, and the Saints football player, NFL football player is sitting in the stands, and he's quiet and, and massive, and you know, the bench is like this, and uh, he's sitting there quiet, and my, my parents told me, um, yeah, it's not him you got to worry about, it. it's, it's the mom. The mom is intense. And uh, the little boy like catches a pass and he scores a touchdown. And he runs over to the stands with a huge smile on his face. And he holds up the ball to show his mom. Like, look, mom, look what I did. And she looks at him. She goes, it's about time you did something. Now get out there and do it again. He's like, okay. (laughs) He runs off. And it's just like, I wonder if that's how sometimes we picture God. It's about time you did something. Now, get out there and do it again. Show me what you're really made of. See if you can do that again. Now, look, I get that for football. I'm highly motivated that way. If you want to encourage me to preach better, come up to me and say, why don't you learn how to preach next time before you get in that pulpit? I'm like, man, it's on. I want to preach now. Like, I'm motivated by, by that, but, um, which, which is probably not good. There's probably something in my heart that's unhealthy about that. Um, but how does God regard us? I think a better example of that we would see in the story of the prodigal son. So please turn to Luke 15. How does God regard sinners who are struggling but repenting, who are still failing but who are running to him? You probably know the story well. We won't read the whole thing. But this young man came to his father and he asked for the inheritance, which you need to understand that's about the same as saying uh, that he wishes his father was dead. Because think about it, you don't get the inheritance until the father dies. And so he's asking for it now. Dad, I wish you were as good as dead because then I could have my money. So why don't we just pretend that you're dead and you give me the money and we'll, we'll be good. The father, knowing good and well that the son would probably squander the entire inheritance, gives it to him anyway. And of course he goes off and he wrecks his life and he wastes his father's inheritance. And he eventually finds himself destitute and helpless of course, he used to go to all the big parties and show off and indulge in all kinds of pleasures. Now he's living among the pigs. He's feeding the pigs. And he's so poor at this point, he's, he's asking the pigs, hey, you going to eat that? And he had descended to a whole new low. So Luke chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a story. This son ran away. He took advantage of his father. He brought shame on the family. But this father runs towards him and lavished him with the advantage of his presence and acceptance. The son took advantage of the father. The the father lavishes him with the advantage of his own presence and his own acceptance. The son had stolen blessings from his father, but the father is running to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. The blessing of his acceptance. The blessing of undeserved welcome. This is the picture of the joy that the father feels towards his wayward, sinful, rebellious, but repenting children. And the son is simply not prepared for that kind of response. He, so he offers to be a slave. I'll just be a slave. He's even willing to not carry the family name because of how much shame he's brought on the family. But the father doesn't even entertain the thought, does he? Doesn't even entertain the thought. Instead, he brings out the very best he has. He throws the biggest party he can. Why? Because this son who was lost is now found. He says, this son, this my son was dead and is now alive again. Now, do you think the prodigal son took note of the father's joy in this situation? I mean, put yourself in his shoes. How do you think the father's joy affected the prodigal son? He's sitting there. He's wearing the best robe. He's got a fancy, expensive ring on his hand. He's got the nicest shoes they could find on his feet. The most expensive food was being served all because of him. And he thinks back As he looks around and surveys this scene, he he thinks back on how much of his life he had wasted. How much of this man's stuff that he had squandered and this man is lavishing me with this amount of grace and mercy and abundance. How would he have felt in that moment? How would you have felt in that moment? Here he is in the father's presence he's not experiencing wrath though he deserved it he's not experiencing judgment though he deserved it deserved it but he was being lavished with an abundant mercy that he did not deserve why because his father was filled with joy over his return I mean, I imagine many things were running through his mind and heart in that moment. But one thing was clear. The father was with him in joy, wasn't he? And I think a great deal of the absence of joy in our lives can be attributed to the fact that we've lost sight of two things. One, the wonder of the grace and mercy that we have received. When we lose that wonder, joy goes out the window with it. May we never lose the wonder of that grace and mercy. And second, we lose sight of the joy of the Father over his people. Both of those realities should affect us. In other words, if we were more aware of the grace and mercy we've received and the Father's joy over us, oh, how would that affect us? How would that affect so many aspects of our lives? Well, let's think of one aspect of our lives that it could affect in just the area of relationships, just this horizontal dimension. See, the posture of the Father... Toward the wayward, broken son should frame our interactions with one another. So let me ask you, are you more framed by the father over his sinful, but rebellious, but repenting, sinful and rebellious but repenting people? Are you framed by the joy of the father over those people? Or perhaps? And this is where I would find myself, are you more framed by the other guy in the story? Remember the other guy? older son the self-righteous brother who thought he deserved better treatment who said what are you talking about I've been here all along I never took your money I never ran off with it I never wrecked my life I never ruined the family name I've been slaving away here year after year serving you and what do I get for it so this is what you got to do to get any love and respect around here you got to go ruin your life and come back what, what, are you, what is going on here And he's irritated at the father's joy over this repenting and returning son. Maybe we can relate to that a little bit better. Maybe our interactions with other people are more framed by by the, the, the the irritation of the older son towards those that God is pouring his grace out on. But if that's the case, the gospel would remind us that in reality, every one of us really is the prodigal son. Every one of us has received mercy and grace that we did not deserve. Isn't that how the father answered the older son? Have I not been with you this whole time? He points to the blessing of his own presence in joy towards the older son. See, the the solution was the same. God was with him. It's a parable. So Jesus is illustrating that um, in the father. We have all been undeservedly welcomed into the Father's joy. And when we remember that, oh, how it will help us guard against self-righteous attitudes of impatience and pride that we might feel towards other people. After all, those things just rob us of joy, don't they? So the path towards joy begins with seeing the joy of the Father first for us. In fact, God intends for the great joy that he has, not just to be experienced and felt by us personally. He does intend that. But he intends for that joy to spread to other people as well, which brings us to point three, the spread of joy in the gift of the church. For this section, I want you to turn to John 15, please. The reason I spent so much time helping us see God's love for us is because Jesus makes the, con, this connection between his joy and our joy. There's a connection there. In other words, our joy is not just something we, we, we make up or we just choose to have. Um, rather, the, the joy that God intends for us actually comes from God himself. And we see this in John 15 in Jesus' teaching on the, the true vine and abiding in him. So if you look at verse 8, according to Jesus, abiding in his love and keeping his commandments are actually not ends in, the, in themselves. How often do we make those the end in themselves? Give me the list. Tell me what I can do and not do. And should Christians do this? Should we not do that? Should I do this? And we, wanna, we want objective things. We can check off a list and go, well, um, I've got eight out of the 10. Um, I should feel pretty good about that. It's not about list. It's not about checklist or anything like that. It commands, undoubtedly, obedience to the Father, undoubtedly, but why? Jesus says that the end result of that, the destination of those things is so that my joy may be in you. And the you, again, Pastor Billy pointed out last week, here again, it's y'all, that my joy may be in you all. There is joy that Jesus intends to spread to us, and it comes as a result of our obedience to him and walking in his ways, That's how joy comes into us. And Jerry Bridges points out in one of his books that joy is not only the result of walking in obedience, but joy is a motivation and fuel for walking in obedience as well. Um, So that's why we do these things. Now, what it means to abide in love is is a whole sermon in itself. We could talk about what that means to stay near the cross of Calvary and ways to meditate on the finished work of Christ on our behalf and practically what it looks like to really abide in his love. But that's a whole separate sermon. Um, But what I want you to see here is that the destination of those things is the experience of joy from the Father... Jesus wants his joy to be in us. That's why he's told us these things. And then it goes on to say, when his joy is in us, only then will our joy be full. It'll be full. It'll be rounded out. So before we focus on what do I need to do, let's just pause and recognize that God intends for his people to be joyful. And he has a joy that he wants to pour into our hearts and it comes from his heart. We saw that in the prodigal son story. That's the the joy of the father for his son. But he intends for that to arrive in our hearts. And that's how our joy becomes full. And of course, this is corporate. And there's a horizontal dimension to it. Because the very next verse there, if you look at verse 12, goes into the great commandment to love one another. We're not even going to look at that whole section. But Jesus isn't changing the subject (laughs) when he goes to that paragraph. No, this is a continuation of the thought. How can his joy arrive in us and our joy be full? What what are the implications? Well, that shows up in how we love one another. He intends for the gift of joy to spread among the people of God through their sacrificial love for one another. We see this also in the high priestly prayer. Jump over to John 17. He actually prays this specifically. Look at verse 13. John 17, 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So I appreciate that one, because in the English, we don't lose the yallness of the whole thing. Jesus is praying to God, and he says, "I'm, I'm praying that my joy may be in them And that my joy may be fulfilled in themselves. That they would experience this. He wants us to experience this. So what does it look like for the joy of Jesus to be fulfilled among his people? Jesus prayed it would happen. So what does it look like? Are we a people marked by joy? And what could that look like? Well, that starts out with asking individually, am I a person marked by joy that comes from being a forgiven sinner? Again, we're not talking about uh, being a happy-go-lucky person, but really, do you have a deeply rooted joy that outweighs what you're feeling in the moment? And if we're honest, we would say, no, not often, or maybe hardly ever, (laughs) or sometimes, some version of that. But the real question is this, do, do you have a reason to be joyful? Do you? You might say, yeah, but I'm struggling financially, My kids are disobedient. My baby's not sleeping and neither am I. I might lose my job this year. I'm making very little progress with my kids in homeschooling. I'm concerned about this loved one. I've been hurt by someone that I trusted to never hurt me. And yes, these things are all realities. Being joyful doesn't mean we deny those and pretend like they didn't happen. We don't stick our heads in the sand. But the joy that God promises us us enables us to face those realities in honesty. But our joy doesn't have to depend on those things going away or changing. See, for the world, joy comes from improved circumstances. Not for the Christian. We can look at all the reasons to not be joyful. We can look at those. But we can't stop there. We, as followers of Jesus, take the next step... Of looking at the one overriding greater than all reason that we have to be joyful. Our sins have been forgiven. Nothing is going to change that. Our sins have been forgiven. We were cast off and cut off from God. Away from his presence. Banished from his presence because of our own rejection of him. And yet we have been brought near to him by the mercy of Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. And that reality can outweigh all other realities that compete for our attention and focus. And this side of eternity, let's be honest, there will be no shortage of reasons to not be joyful, will there be? But Christians are people who keep coming back to greater realities, that keep coming back to better news than the narrative that our minds and our experience tell us over and over again. There's a deeper, truer, and better reality that we come back to. Realities like the wonder and mystery of God with us in joy because of what Jesus has done for us, something that was not possible on our own, something we could not have manufactured on our own, something that we needed the intervention of a divine savior to reach down into our dead state and raise us up and breathe life into us that we would not otherwise have had he not done that miracle. That's the one we look to. That's the reality we come back to and going to John Piper's title. It is a fight for joy to do that, is it not? We can be honest about that this side of eternity, we are going to fight for joy. It's not going to happen passively. We're not going to just sit around and get hooked up to a slow drip IV of joy and it's just going to happen. No, we're going to say no to sin. We're going to seek to obey God. We're going to position our lives in the path of God's pouring out grace and mercy upon us. And as we do those things, joy will fill our hearts. The prayer of Jesus will be answered. This is what he calls us to. So in my work as an owner of a, an inspection company, I'll sometimes have circumstances that just sap the joy out of me. Maybe you don't ever have that and you have a wonderful job where that never happens. Maybe an inspection we did made a realtor mad or a seller's angry at us um, because of course, you know their house was fine until the inspector showed up and broke everything. That seems to be how people think. And I have to navigate these situations, um, situations that can kind of rob me of joy. So what can we do in those moments? What can we do when circumstances are pulling us out of the joy that God intends for us to have and to experience? Well, I can remind myself things from what we were learning this morning. Jesus wants me to have his joy. He has prayed that I would have his joy. How can I get that right now? Well, he's given me many reasons to be joyful I want to encourage you if your very next sentence is I have a house and you, you turn to material things that's true be thankful for those but I would encourage you not to start there because there are better things than the material things that he gives the biggest being that he's loved me with an undeserving love he's shown me great mercy when I deserved wrath and judgment I'm navigating this tough joy draining situation Yes, but I'm doing it as a forgiven sinner who's been shown the mercy of the Father. Man, that changes everything when you think of it that way. The situation doesn't and cannot change those realities. That Jesus has died for my sins and brought me to God the Father. And that reality that he's brought me to God, he's secured the joy that he intends for me. That reality was purchased at the price of the blood of Jesus. That's how important it was to God that we know that. It doesn't just apply to work, right, but to marriage and parenting. Are you more focused on the problems in your spouse or kids? If you are, I can bet that that joy is lacking or absent in your life. But you know what? God is with us. He's with us in joy. He's giving you an unchanging reason to be joyful as he changes the people around you because guess what? He's changing you too. Again, I've told you this before, but one of my favorite songs I learned as a little kid, not in that room, but like little kids in that room are right now, which says, he's still working on me. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how patient he must be. He's still working on me. (laughs) It took a week. One week, people. The whole thing. Bam. And I am at 25 years old. And... 42, 43. Thank you, son. 42, almost 43. And he's still working on me. Can't get away with anything around here. What about areas of change? See, it's easy to lose sight of these realities. But just... Change. Just think about change for a moment. When things around you are changing, you are changing, your spouse is changing, your job is changing, your church is changing. How do you face change? Does change steal your joy? It can. Change can bring out a complaining heart. Notice how I said that. It doesn't produce a complaining heart. It brings out a complaining heart. Right, Josh, with inspections, we don't create problems. We reveal problems that are already there, right? And so the same thing here. Change doesn't create Sinful response. It reveals sinful response. How do you face change? Do you complain? Do you have a desire to tighten your control of a person or situation? Again, God with us in joy means we can face change with faith that God will continue to be with us in joy. So are are we a people that's marked by this joyful faith for change? Joyful faith in the midst of change. We can be, but we won't get there on our own. And so God's not really designed it to happen that way, in fact. So how do we get there? He gives us the gift of the church. So that's the outside in. So this starts inside out. It starts in our hearts as God does things in us individually. But God intends for his church to to be a source where joy is poured into us through people. Joy is not something we just muster up on our own. Joy is contagious, when we're marked by the joy of being forgiven sinners, that starts to spread. It transforms our interactions with one another. It empowers us to face change with a joyous faith. It positions us to sacrifice for the good of others. And the cool thing is that if my joy is low, I get around the people of God and their joy reminds me that I have unchanging reasons for joy. So I need the body and you need the body. And the local church is God's gift to help you Grow and mature as a Christian, including in your fight for joy. So question, are you positioning yourself to spread joy among God's people? To, to spread joy into the experience of God's people? Are you positioning yourself so that it's going from the inside out into others? And then the flip side of that, are you positioning your life to receive the joy that God intends to pour into your life through the people that he surrounded you with in the context of the local church? After all, we have the good news that God is with us every time we, we are together and that good news should lead to great joy for all people, amen? So, let's wrap this up this way. I don't think we have time to close with a song, so... Um, What are you looking to for joy? Where are you expecting to find joy? Does your joy depend on ignorance? Oh, may it not. I hope not. You don't know, like, ignorance. Like, you don't know the future. Um, So you're just choosing to stay positive. No, that's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible shows us what Jesus did in the past to purchase our joy. And it shows us the certainty of an eternal future that would be marked by unending joy. And that is the good news of great joy that we can have today. And it's all possible because Jesus took on flesh and became God with us. And he prayed that his joy would be in us. And that it would be made full among his people. And guess what? When Jesus prays, we don't have to wonder if God's going to answer that prayer. He's going to answer that prayer. And so joy has come in the person of Jesus to produce joy in us. Individually and corporately. Amen. Let's stand together and pray that God would do this among us. After we pray, um, we'll have some folks up front. If you would like prayer to say, My joy is is just absent and I want to pray that God would renew my joy. Um, Please come forward and let's let's pray for you. We'd love to do that. Lord, we pray that you would uh, impress on our hearts the significance of good news for great joy that you intend for us. And that we would return again and again to the good news of the gospel and what you've done because that is the source of our joy. Forgive us, Lord, for turning to other things, expecting them to produce the joy that only you can produce. Help us to see that you ex- what you extend to us is better than what we so often turn to. And I pray that you'd pour your joy into the hearts of everyone here, Lord, that you would give us a joyous faith, a contagious, joyous faith that would mark this community of local believers for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.